Hello, everyone, and welcome to Friend Diagram. This is the podcast where two friends catch up and find common ground between their favorite media. I'm Remy. I'm Kat. And today we will be discussing one of our friend favorites, Denny Villeneuve's Dune. Warning, spoilers ahead. Cat, it's almost time. It's almost time for the worm. Dune part two. <gasps> Double the worms. Double, maybe triple the worms. Who can Probably. say? This We're going to see some cool worms. Oh, yeah. We're going to see all kinds of stuff. Who knows? I've been trying to stay away from all the promotional materials mm-hmm. because I just want to be surprised because mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who doesn't know what happens in the books, and so surprise is a possibility for me. Well, the books are so detailed and kind of sprawling that I feel like, mm-hmm. as someone who's read the book once, I still don't even know what's going to really happen in mm-hmm. this part two. So I'm very excited to go watch it. I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm going to see it at the little independent cinema near us. It's oh, not awesome. as It's not as cool as film scene, but... Rutgers mm-hmm. has their own little indie cinema, so that'd oh, be that's cool. awesome. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, we're both going to see it Saturday on the opening weekend mm-hmm. for wide release. I'm going to see it in the Dolby Room <laughs> at the Fancy uh, Sound. Yeah, at the Lincoln Square AMC 13. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited. I haven't been in the Dolby Room yet, but uh, I mean, if not for Dune Part Two, then when? Yeah. I mean, what's what better time? Mm-hmm. You get to hear the score. You get to hear all of that great mixing. Lots of good so, mixing. Yeah. Lots of good worm rumbling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, hopter tumbling. Oh, I wish I'd made a note. I was watching it with subtitles on the other day, mm-hmm. and it, there were like some funny subtitle descriptions of noises that Ooh. I was like. Oh, Remy would love this. Remy would love these, like, You should capture them. I would have loved to have seen that. I think I'm going to watch it one more time before we go see it, because Scott needs to revisit it before we go. So if I catch it on the second time around, I'll I'll remember to screen cap it. Mm -hmm. Yes, and we offered Scott a spot on this episode as an expert (laughs) correspondent. He declined, but I think he's the biggest... Snip in his little audio here with his consent. Oh, I would love that. This is what our correspondent said. He told us a really cool fact about Frank Herbert, the author of Mm -hmm. the novelization of Dune, the original form. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's perhaps the foremost, maybe second most Dune expert out of all the people I've met. So Scott knows a lot. Uh, it's fascinating that Frank Herbert was himself an ecologist, right? One of the main characters oh. in that story is an ecologist. That uh, makes a lot eco- of sense. It's like the most ecology science fiction uh, work that you could think of. And he was an ecologist, specifically on like like dune biomes next to oceans. Isn't that that's fascinating? That's perfect. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. That was actually the first recommendation I ever got from Scott. He, on our second date, handed me a paperback mm-hmm. copy of Dune, and then I read it. Then we're married now, so. Yeah, he's a big Dune evangelist. Mm-hmm. He's a Dune guy. Well, I like Kat said, we're doing a friend favorites episode this weekend, 
in anticipation for Dune Part 2's release. So we're just going to tell you about why we love Dune Part 1, mm-hmm. the 2021 film directed by Denis Villeneuve. One of our guys, Love yeah. Denis. I finally know how to say his name. I finally learned it. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. He's easy to love, hard to pronounce. (laughs) But (laughs) this one, you really liked that. (laughs) (laughs) Easy to love, hard to pronounce. Um, Dune was written by John Spates, Eric Roth, and Denis. But obviously, these are based on the novels by Frank Herbert and Dune stars Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, and Zendaya, among many, many other really awesome people. Mm-hmm. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac. Amazing. Sometimes I can only think of people's character names. <laughs> Jason Momoa. Jason Momoa, yes. <laughs> Duncan Obviously, Idaho. I could only think Duncan Idaho. <laughs> and then I was like, what's his real name? What's his real name? Mm-hmm. He just he just looks like a Duncan Idaho man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's dope. If you haven't seen it already, it's streaming on HBO Max. Or if you don't want to fork over the crazy amount of money for HBO Max, you can just rent it on Amazon, I'm sure. Sure. Um, always a great option. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know, this movie tells the story of Paul Atreides and his esteemed and powerful family that take station as stewards of the desert planet Arrakis. And you see the fate that befalls their family as they take on this challenge in a new and treacherous place. That's my summary of mm-hmm. Dune. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot going on in Dune politically. So I think I finally have a better grasp on all of the political things happening in Dune. I think that was one of the things that was kind of hardest for me to grasp the first few times I watched it. Mm -hmm. But I think that the screenplay actually does a really great job of artfully weaving all of these political details into the story and not just giving you really overt like explanations of what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I think that that's really cool and something that I picked up on this time around. So yeah, I'm glad you shouted the screenplay writers because they did a really good job. Yeah, I totally agree. For something that's based on what I think is a very detailed novel, there is a little bit of some exposition voiceover from Zendaya in the very beginning of the Mm -hmm. film, but it just sort of sets the scene and gives you a little bit of orientation so that the rest of the film from there can fill in all of those gaps and the political interworkings of all of these worlds Mm -hmm. by other means, which is very tough to do. But I think Denny put a ton of thought and his writers and his production designers put a ton of thought into not just explaining the political inner workings of the worlds to you, but making it easier to grasp by making all of these disparate political forces extremely easy to visually and sonically distinguish. Oh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing that I thought was really crafty, and one thing that I think some science fiction and fantasy movies have a hard time doing is that there's kind of a lot of exposition that needs to happen in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. And 
you don't really want a huge lore dump that like disengages your audience from the film. Mm -hmm. And one way that they incorporated information was through these kind of documentary style projections that Paul is studying in preparation for the move to Arrakis. Mm -hmm. And I thought those were so interesting because it incorporates like a visual and a narration and it kind of has like this old timey documentary feel to it. I just, I thought those were really cool and they pop up multiple times throughout the film. Like in the hunter seeker scene, there's that really Mm -hmm. cool, like environmental projection that's happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like hologram textbooks. Yeah. It's really cool. I would love to study out of a textbook like that. (laughs) I know. Wouldn't that be so much more interesting? Mm -hmm. Like a holodeck textbook. Yeah. Yeah, those are one great device that they use for some of that exposition. And certainly because Paul, the main character, is a a young man who's still learning a lot about the planet and getting accustomed to things and just learning everything that you would at that age. I don't know what age he's actually meant to be in the books. I assume maybe like 17-ish, would you guess? I'm just going to look up the answer to this. Mm -hmm. Paul Atreides, how old is he in Dune? (laughs) (laughs) Um, This says that he is 15 years old. Oh, man, that poor kid. Yeah, so baby. Just a little baby. Just a little baby. But yeah, we see a lot of learning through Paul's introduction to the setting and the world, but... We also see a lot of things that are outside of his perspective as well. Like Mm -hmm. we journey to other planets to see meetings between very, very powerful people. And you definitely understand what is going on. I would say the first time I watched this, having not seen, sorry, having not read the books and having no primer for it, I was slightly lost, but not terribly lost. And Rewatching it just this past week, I felt like I very firmly grasped all of the political concepts. So I think with two passes for a novice, that's like really good um, ability to convey information. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the level of detail in the films is very, keeps things very true to the novel and improves on certain places. But they definitely gave themselves enough space to really tell the story instead of trying to cram a book that has like three big sections into Mm -hmm. a single film. So uh, I went into Dune part one initially thinking it was going to be the entire story. And it definitely was not that it was only book one. And I was really impressed with the just ability to stay true to the original source material. That was really cool. Yeah. Speaking of, we did want to talk about when we both got to see Dune Part 1 for the first time, or at least for the first time for me, for the second time for you. <laughs> That's true. I had seen it on like a home rental prior, but the theater experience oh, was so when different. We, when it was the first time you saw it in theater? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My partner and I were long distance at the time, so we both rented it on, I think, Prime, and then watched it together. Ah, via that. But it's just not as good. It's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. And so we went and saw that. It was 
a very big day for you. You defended PhD thesis. Yeah, we <laughs> and went then to we see... went to go see Dune. Yes, Dune. Seeing Dune in the theaters for the first time was my reward for defending my PhD thesis, mm-hmm. and we did that in November of 2021. When the film had been out for several weeks already, mm-hmm. I was getting a little worried that it was going to go out of theaters before I had a chance to see it. But I was delaying seeing it in theaters because it was still during the Delta wave of mm-hmm. the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I didn't want to get sick and debilitated by illness in the run-up to my dissertation yes. defense. <laughs> And so I waited and waited, and I was like, come on, Dune, keep the momentum, stay in the theaters. (laughs) And it did, because it did great. Mm -hmm. And so finally, I defended my thesis, exhausted myself, and immediately was like, okay, now let's go (laughs) see Dune. Now it's time. I've done done this terrible deed. Now we can go see Dune. Yeah, and we brought our purse wine. Yes, you brought purse wine. You treated us to purse wine. It was great. That was the a perfect great reward. I'm such a good friend. <laughs> a very good friend. Very smart. Oh yeah. And we funny. saw we saw Dune, and it was a absolutely just amazing time. It was exciting, stunning, arresting, and what a feeling and a relief to just have a nice purse wine <laughs> and the feeling of accomplishment. Yeah, and I think that Dune is a perfect film for that, too, because it's got the perfect mix of, like, action sequences, but also just, like, these really beautiful, calming moments that Mm -hmm. are laden throughout. And, yeah, it's just, like, a perfect movie to kind of sit back and relax to, I think. Yeah, and I also feel like it was a great movie thematically, for me at the time, it was very appropriate at the time because mm-hmm. a lot of the film is about Paul being on the precipice of something new. Mm-hmm. So preparing to go to this new world and learning about this new world and then dealing with these new events that arise and kind of turning a corner on realizations about himself and his role in the world. And When I went to see it, I was on the precipice of a huge move. I was about to move across the country in a few days and was on the precipice of a lot of unknown things. And so for me, that was definitely meaningful because, you know, it can be really nerve wracking leading up to huge changes like that. And I Mm -hmm. think that's something that is conveyed really well in the film through Paul and his family. For sure. But yeah, Yeah. Dune holds a very special place in my heart as one of the greatest film rewards of all time. Uh Uh-huh. What was your favorite part of seeing it in the theater? Oh, man. I think while all of the components work extremely well, uh, Denis' films are just so visually sweeping, Mm -hmm. and he does such a great job of creating tableaus that are suited to sci-fi stories. He's obviously very Mm -hmm. adept at that. And he and his cinematographer, Greg Frazier, just did an outstanding job creating these landscapes and cityscapes in Dune and displaying these just 
ingenious designs for crafts or machinery or costumes i mean the costumes are insane in this yeah Uh, every everything visually had such incredible thought put into it so i would say that's something that definitely is best absorbed on the big screen yeah i totally agree with that i think one of the things that uh, kind of just shocked me and surprised me the most when I went to see it in the theater was the scale of things mm-hmm. in that film, which is what you're getting at in, in part, but uh, like the worm, the first time you see the worm come out of the sand mm-hmm. and it's just like sucking all that sand down into itself. It's like so unimaginably large for my brain. Cause when I was mm-hmm. reading the books, I was, I wasn't picturing something on that scale. Sure. Yeah. Or even like the harvesters and the equipment. Mm-hmm. Those things are massive. They're like a huge building turned on its side. Like what? They're massive, yeah. What is that? It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like carried around by these little carrier things that are on balloons. It's it's amazing. But yeah, just really adds to like the otherworldliness, I suppose. Mm-hmm. On yeah. the screen. I know, and I also, while I I think the the visual nature is what stood out to me the the most at first pass, I don't want to, like, undercut the sound editing Mm -hmm. either, because there is so many, there are so many interesting choices that went into the sound editing, and Thomas Flight on YouTube has done a great series of videos going into that in detail. Mm-hmm. And interviewing some of the sound editors and mixers for the film that have just fascinating insights about how they built the sound library for the film and the types of sounds that they drew from and how they mixed in just ingenious combinations of organic sounds mm-hmm. to give a grounded element and a familiar element to sounds for vehicles that are completely otherworldly. And I just, those interviews and those videos were so eye-opening to me with regard to the types of thought and decision-making that goes into even something as small as like the sound of a single machine. Mm. And I just, I think every single thing in this movie is working so well together in concert whether it's the sound editing and mixing and the cinematography and the score and the production design and the costume design and the art direction, like everything is so in sync mm-hmm. that it's, it's extremely impressive for something at this scale. Like it's very hard to do that on a small scale. I can't believe how difficult it was to do on such a large scale. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Thomas Flight. Because you recommended his videos to me, and I watched the one on the Doom score, mm-hmm. and that pointed out a lot of really interesting motifs in the score that get brought up for specific characters. Yeah. And on my rewatch of Dune, I was like, "Whoa, like this totally adds to adds to the film in a way that I didn't pick up on in the first pass. But yeah, his videos are really cool, and I will link. The two that we have discussed specifically down below, but definitely if learning more like technical aspects about certain films is interesting to you, check out just his channel in general as well. Yeah. Yeah. And 
Thomas Voigt's video on the sound mixing is called Why Does Dune Sound Like That? Mm -hmm. And, ugh, it's so good. (laughs) Yeah, do you just want to go down our long list of things that we love about Dune now? (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. Did you, when you rewatched it, the version you watched, was it, did it open with a black screen and a voice saying dreams or messages from the deep? (laughs) I think so, yeah, in the, uh... In, like, the didgeridoo language. Yeah, in the didgeridoo language, even before the production credits roll. Yeah. How sick is that? It's so good. (laughs) It's so good. Oh, actually, I was going to ask if Thomas Flight mentioned anything about the didgeridoo language in specific. I don't know why I call it that. It just reminds me of No, that's exactly what it is. I'm assuming that's what it is. Okay, yeah, it sounds exactly like a didgeridoo. (laughs) That's how I was going to phrase it. Um, I don't remember if he talked about that specifically, but... It's such a cool effect. Yeah, it's really amazing. (laughs) It's awesome. What a kick-ass way to open the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's a fascinating choice to put it before the production credits. Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't remember that. And when it happened, when I began my rewatch, I was just like, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what well, an we opening might have been to our showing. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> oh, who knows? It's possible. <laughs> It's always Could possible it. <laughs> when Remy's on, on the team. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That was actually one of my notes of something that I really loved. I was like, I just find the didgeridoo language like very surprising every time I hear it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is really great. I know. 10 but out of 10. <laughs> doesn't it just make you want to say, hell yeah. Hell Yeah. <laughs> I know, that kind of ties into one of my major favorite bullets, which is the tunes on Getty Prime. (laughs) (laughs) The tunes on Getty Prime. They're just rocking out, They are. They are. (laughs) The vibes on Getty Prime are really intense, but I I love it. It's so distinct, and even though everyone is kind of despicable, and Mm -hmm. what they're doing is normally pretty gross and bad i'm the whole time i'm just like man this this planet is <laughs> rocking out <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and all of the worlds are so like distinct and different from one another they like feel like real places and mm-hmm. i really love that i don't know what the first world that the atreides are on is called but that is like my favorite planet and i want to live there and i want to just lie in the little tide pools that timothy chalamet is like running his hands through yeah i want to say kaladin kaladin yeah we don't spend a ton of time on kaladin but Mm -hmm. it is absolutely gorgeous when we are there yeah one of my favorite scenes on kaladin is the scene where Paul and his father are like walking along in, I guess it's like a cemetery, I suppose. I believe so, yeah. Um, but you can see the like ocean in the background and they're having this really nice conversation about, um, Paul's direction in life and whether or not he will lead House Atreides or whether or not he'll just do his own thing and mm-hmm. how his dad's okay with that regardless and i really like the chemistry in that scene and i think it's such a nice contrast to the expectation of paul's mother jessica Mm -hmm. because she basically gives him the 
biggest legacy to live up to in the world and is like, okay, now you're going to be this guy, the mm-hmm. Hazwatch Calderish. No, that's so wrong. <laughs> but, but it's got like a fancy name and there's prophecies about it or whatever. But it's like, dad's chill with me just like working at McDonald's, but mm-hmm. you want me to bridge space and time with my mind? No, I'm really glad you pointed that out because that's definitely one of my favorite scenes. It mm-hmm. is. It feels very genuine and tender and definitely unexpected when you've just been introduced to this very powerful family, like House Atreides. Yeah. Duke Atreides is very strong and powerful and you would expect him to be, you know, stereotypically very tough on his young son. Mm-hmm. But the the sensitivity and the consideration that he shows Paul in that scene tells you so much of what you need to know about Duke Atreides and yeah. his compassion and actual discerning consideration for other people. Mm-hmm. And I love that scene. I think it is extremely touching and very affecting and mm-hmm. immediately endears you to both of them, but especially Duke Atreides. Yeah, for sure. And while we're kind of on that note, another thing that I really liked is the chemistry that Duke Atreides has with a variety of characters. We get to see him in different capacities. We get to see him interacting with Jessica, where they're, she's technically his concubine, so like partner, but he never married her. And they have these like very quiet, tender moments that I just really love. I really love their chemistry with one another because it's very quiet. It's very, it, it, there's very little dialogue shared between the two characters, but you get the sense of like very deep, profound love between them. Mm-hmm. And then you also see him navigating the relationship with his son and you see him interacting with a variety of military personnel, like his head of security and you just kind of learn a lot about the Duke through these very subtle interactions that he's having with everyone else around him. And you learn that he's just a really good leader and a very caring leader. And it shows you, not tells you that he's all of those things, you know? Yes, absolutely. You very much learn that through watching him make decisions and actions in the moment. And I also think his relationship with Jessica is really interesting because coming in cold, I had no idea that that was their technical relationship mm-hmm. was that she was his concubine because she just seems like his normal counterpart in mm-hmm. every situational aspect shown in the film. I think it's only divulged later on by someone that's trying to discredit her Mm -hmm. but otherwise she just seems like his you know his actual wife or counterpart Mm -hmm. and you would never know that it was a different sort of arrangement from the way that they interact or interact with each other or paul or everyone around them yeah for sure but yeah speaking of jessica the benny jesuit what's up with them (laughs) what's up with them they're great. They're I'm really, really interested cool. in them. <laughs> they seem very cool. Yeah. And they seem like they we have a lot of similar interests. I feel like I could really thrive <laughs> in the Benny Desert. Yeah. I feel like 
you're very, you would be very good at like keeping secrets and yes. making plans, making moves. Scheming. Scheming. <laughs> I think you would really thrive in that environment. Yeah. I think I would crush it in the Benny Gesserit. <laughs> I've no, I haven't heard back about my application yet. <laughs> A shame. Maybe it got lost in the mail. Yeah. Maybe I'll apply again. Who knows? <laughs> I don't know what the recruitment cycles are like, but <laughs> yeah. It's a rolling admission. Yeah. <laughs> I've been practicing the voice, so maybe this time. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I really love the Mother Reverend. I don't love her, like, as a person. She's up mm -hmm. to some stuff. Mm -hmm. But I admire her. I feel a sense of awe anytime she's on screen because she's so intimidating and intense. Mm -hmm. And like the Gamjabar scene is incredible. I know. I was like, I, we got to talk about Gamjabar. We talk about scenes. Yeah. That's one of the best scenes in the film, I think. And I think that's one of the most critical scenes to get right because mm -hmm. I feel like people that even know about Dune in passing, know about the Gamjabar. Mm -hmm. And so you can't mess that up. No. Yeah. I think that Timothy Chalamet does a really great job in that scene pretending to be in pain because that mm -hmm. can be very like overdramatic or unbelievable. Yeah. I think they, they did a great job. And I think that's also like an interesting place to talk about Timothy Chalamet in particular as mm -hmm. casting for Paul Atreides. I think it was, well, I always think it's so interesting when people have very strong opinions on casting for something that's well known as a book or a comic book, for example. And I think often people are, people put a huge amount of thought into casting, you mm -hmm. know, uh, people aren't just getting casted on a whim for a huge part like that. For sure. And so generally I feel pretty trusting when someone is cast for something like that. And while I didn't have any strong opinions because I had no preconceptions about Paul Atreides, the character, mm -hmm. I also didn't have many preconceptions about Timothy Chalamet. Like I've seen him in mm -hmm. things yeah. and he's certainly a very good actor, mm -hmm. but I'd never seen him take on this type of role. Like I'm used to him in Call Me By Your Name or Lady Bird, like dramas that mm -hmm. are very grounded. And so I imagine taking on a role like this that is so physically challenging and dynamic and placed in such a large scale and a huge scope of a world has to be very different. And sure. I think he did an excellent job tackling that challenge. And I mm -hmm. think he... To me, I think he's an excellent choice because he's someone who you can imagine being very vulnerable and still young and new and uncertain about things, yeah. but also still very physically capable and full of potential as well. And I think he embodies all of those elements in a believable way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm sure you remember, but one of my initial critiques of the film was that I didn't love Paul's character in the same way that I I came in with preconceptions about Paul's mm. character. Mm -hmm. And the way I read Paul's character was more childlike 
Like my mm-hmm. favorite moments that we get of Timothy Chalamet are when he like runs up to Duncan Idaho and has yeah. like a silly hug moment. And that's mm-hmm. like really cute. And I wish that we'd gotten more of that like playful energy from him because he's so serious throughout. And I think that it's internally consistent. I think I just personally had wished that they'd written in a little bit more childhood into him. Mm-hmm. And I think we we do catch glimpses of mm-hmm. his like sweetness and more inexperienced side as mm-hmm. a character, just in small glimpses. So like definitely his enthusiasm for Duncan Idaho <laughs> is very sweet. Mm-hmm. Or when he's reading his textbook about the ecology of Arrakis and the little mouse creature shows up mm-hmm. and he like jumps up and goes over to look at it because he's just really yeah. interested in seeing the mouse. Like that's a that very sweet really yeah. thing. And when he just goes out and talks to the man watering the date trees because yeah. he just wants to know what he's up to, mm-hmm. I think we definitely see little glimpses of just very sweet and I don't want to say like innocent, but yeah, curious. curious. It's almost like a curiosity mm-hmm. factor. Definitely. Which I think is lovely. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, actually. I hadn't considered it that way, but. One thing that I did really like about Paul was that he was doing research about this new planet and not just going in as like a completely unobservant, uneducated person into this new culture. It might sound like pedestrian to say, but in my mind, again, as a person who hasn't read the book, I think the casting at large is outstanding for the film. Mm -hmm. Every single person feels is so appropriate for what I understand about their character. Mm-hmm. So like Rebecca Ferguson, I think she is a excellent choice for Jessica because she's just like a very fearsome performer yeah. and contains a great amount of intensity, but obviously has very great physical capabilities. Mm-hmm. And you believe she has this like very intense intelligence and all of these shadowy skills that she's passing on to Paul. I think she was an excellent choice. I think Oscar Isaac was a fantastic choice for Duke Atreides Mm -hmm. because he can so easily, he can be so steady and still Mm -hmm. and convey a sense of, confidence and certainty in his judgment in a way that is necessary for that character while still being able to show that warmth toward his family and mm-hmm. his colleagues and have have uh, be able to like scrutinize situations without it seeming cold mm-hmm. which i think can be very hard to do when you're playing a person who's like extremely powerful in the way that his character is and then obviously other surrounding characters like Javier Bardem or Jason mm-hmm. Momoa or Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> I mean, a wall to wall. It's just packed with incredible people. I know we don't get to see Zendaya a huge amount in mm-hmm. the first, in the first part, but I mean, she's an amazing choice. Yeah. I'm really excited to see her in the second film because she'll be a much larger character. So. Yeah, I just, I think, 
oh, and Josh Brolin is here. How mm-hmm. did I even forget about him? <laughs> uh, there's just so many. I mean, David Dasmalshin, you need a little wormy creep guy to creep around and do bad stuff. Obviously, he's there for you. Yeah, we've got like, Dave Bautista a little bit. Dave Bautista, Love him. yeah. 10 Man. out of 10. So many good people. Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. I Yeah. Yeah. And in the next movie, we'll have Austin Butler, right? Mm-hmm. And Flo. He, was he in the first movie? And no. I just didn't. They all look so different when they're all sure. in their makeup and stuff that I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, did I even see him? No. Yeah, we're going to have Austin Sweet. Butler and Florence Pugh and uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. Mm-hmm. I think those are all the major yeah, additions. I'm Am really stoked. Someone? I don't know. We'll see. I'm very interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to hear what you think of the second film. Yeah, me too. Because that's where the plot's going to get thick and it's going to get really good. Wow. I feel like there's plenty of things that happened in the first one. There's definitely many things that unfold. I think it's like more action filled in my mind and like linear in a sense. I feel like there's less hopping around, but I don't know how they'll structure it. Obviously. I think that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, I fucking love Josh Brolin as Gurney Halleck. He's so <laughs> fucking good. He's so great. Good. Yeah. One thing that I really like that we get on Arrakis is the idea that the Bene Gesserit plant this prophecy about Paul as the Lisan al-Gayyub. And when he first arrives, they're all kind of yelling that at him. They're like, oh, this is the prophet. He's coming to us. And then throughout, there are these moments where we're interacting with more local people. And they're having these kind of moments of realization, I suppose. So some of my favorite scenes are like the one with Shout Out Mapes, where she gives the Chris knife to jessica mm-hmm. and she like lets out this cry and she says yeah. when you have lived with prophecy so long the moment of revelation is a shock mm-hmm. and that just like i don't know how to describe the way it like makes me feel it makes me feel like it t- it takes my breath away when like that emotion is so sudden i suppose and mm-hmm. it was really amazing. And then another one that stuck out to me when I was rewatching was when Liet Kynes, the kind of liaison between mm-hmm. House Atreides and the Emperor, she's called the Judge of the Change. Yeah. She is fitting Paul's still suit and she's like just shocked that he put it on correctly because no one ever puts theirs on correctly the first time. Mm-hmm. And she kind of murmurs to herself, he shall know your ways as if he was born to them. And she, like, it's kind of watching a skeptic see something and take in a data point and be like, okay, maybe this is our prophet guy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. But yeah, I thought those moments were really interesting to me and they just really stuck out on my second watch of the, the film. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting, like, catching glimpses, because obviously I don't know what the prophecy is. I don't know what has been foreseen or mm-hmm. foretold. And so I'm just catching little, like, snippets of it as people express it in different ways, yeah. like you're outlining. So 
I really like that it's not laid out to me at the very beginning. And Mm -hmm. then I'm like anticipating this thing that was just like told to me cold. Like I like gathering these small things along the way. Mm -hmm. You know what I really liked? Hmm. When the Sardukar come and they just menacingly glide down to the surface of the planet. Upsetting. What the hell is up with that? (laughs) It's so unnerving. Yeah. I don't like the Sardaukar at all. They yeah. upset me. They're, They're very, very scary. upsetting. Yeah. And they killed my best friend, Duck in Idaho. Your best friend, Duncan. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, spoiler. He did so good. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Duncan in Idaho. He was so cool, though. Definitely very cool guy. I hung out with the Fremen. Killed a bunch of Sardaukar. Yeah. Saved. Was basically dead and then got the fuck back up <laughs> and attacked some more until yeah. he literally fell to the ground dead. That man. What a guy. I would trust him with my life. Absolutely. I mean, he found them in the desert. Incredible stuff. Um, yeah. I just wanted to shout out the Sardaukar. Yeah. That design. The design. Whoever decided. I don't know if they glide around like that in the book or whatnot. But I think they do. Yeah, I think that's canon. They did an amazing job depicting that in a way yes. that does not look silly, but absolutely does look menacing. It's so, not cheesy at all. No, I bet that was really difficult to pull off that balance. Yeah, while we're on the... Because that's tech that lets them do that. There's like suspension things that they use on okay. those planets. That's how they float around. but. The tech is so cool. Like the hunter seeker is very, very interesting. The shields are super cool. Mm -hmm. I loved the shields. They're giving like really subtle Star Wars vibes. I like the compass that he gets from Duncan Idaho. Duncan Mm -hmm. Idaho gives him a little compass. Uh, yeah, it just kind of felt very like sci-fi James Bond tech. Mm -hmm. And I was a big fan. I like the still suits. I would the definitely still rock a still suit. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is how we save the planet. We all get still suits. Yeah. We stop showering. <laughs> we live mm-hmm. in the desert. We carry a crisp knife. And we carry a crisp knife from the maker. From the maker. <laughs> oh, we forgot we- to greet each other as Shai Halud. Oh, I thought you meant through like the secret finger language. <laughs> oh, Gosh, that's really cool. I want to learn it so bad. Is that Benny Gesserit? Or is that specific to the two of them? I think that's just their house. I think it's like the house itself communicates hmm. that way. Because she communicates with her guards like that she as does, well. She does. She does. You're right. Yeah. And so it's like Get something that's violence. House Atreides. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that scene is so tense. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, why can't I secretly message that to people? Get ready for violence. <laughs> Oh my god. So I good. I wish when we shared an office we had made a secret finger language. <laughs> so that when like my enemy that came would... in, I would signal to you, get ready for violence. <laughs> oh man. So good. Get ready for silence. <laughs> you know what I like? I like it when the copters do that plunging. Ooh. Where they fold in their wings really yeah. quick and they're like, shoot. That's fucking sick. 
It That's is so awesome. good. Yeah, the ornithopters are great. We haven't That's talked what they're about. Called. Yeah. Sorry, I can't remember what That's they're okay. called. When the ornithopters do the diving. Yeah. Maneuver. That's really cool. Uh, another really great scene is when the Duke flies the ornithopter and we like know that his one dream was to be a pilot and that's so cute and he's like yeah. living his little dream. I know. That's so that sweet. That scene is so good. Yeah. Something I thought was goofy and I don't know if anyone else finds this goofy, but every time the Duke, he says it multiple times, every time he looks at someone and very intensely says, desert power. Yeah, <laughs> it gets me laughing. That is so like broy. So it feels like it's so very. Dad. It's very yes. dad to me. Yeah, he like looks at people so seriously and those like desert power. And yeah, he uses that as an explanation. I'm like, sir. No, I absolutely think that does stand out, and I <laughs> just like attributed it to something I didn't understand from the book. That it like, is the in the Duke book. <laughs> just has like big time dad energy and. <laughs> has this idea of desert power that he's uh, trying to convey to people. Yeah, but and I think it's fully end, serious. Though, <laughs> no, I think it is too, because at the conclusion of the film, Paul sees a person riding the worm, and he turns to his mother, and he oh, says, yeah. desert power. And I forgot <laughs> I about like- that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. I forgot about that. Yeah. Aww. Yeah, mm. I love that. And Scott didn't get it. I told Scott about it, and he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, it's kind of funny. And he's like, It's kind of funny. I totally agree. <laughs> he was like, I 100% I don't know, agree. Power. It must I know. be a, a women thing. I even women thought to myself, there. yeah, I was like, how can I start incorporating this into my desert vocabulary? Power. Like, we have to define what it means because but what obviously. What does it mean? I don't know. It means something. I feel like the, the Jennifer Lawrence on Hot Ones meme where she's like, what do you mean? Yeah. What, what do you mean? I think you just know it when you see it. Worm. Worm. Did you have any other elements or scenes that you wanted to talk about? No, I don't think so. I already told you that I don't like bagpipes. Yes, uh, I'm I sorry for with, you. could do without the bagpipes. <laughs> I think it's because I associate bagpipes with funerals. Like, the only time oh. I've ever heard bagpipes are at, like, military funerals. That's very and fair. Like, mm. That's yeah. certainly fair. Mm-hmm. But it could be like a harbinger. Yeah. I, it definitely works in that way. Yeah. 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 I like the moment when the Harkonnen launch their attack on mm-hmm. House Atreides and uh, Josh Brolin's character leads his his dudes into the fray with just what looks like swords and or machetes. Mm-hmm. And he just, just absolutely runs out Slaying there and them. leads the charge to fuck shit up. That was awesome. Yeah. And he's one that we don't know if he's alive or dead, methinks. So correct. Yeah. I think we might get to see him again, but I don't, I, I honestly so. don't remember, but I think if they weren't going to bring him back, they would have showed him dead. So Yes, and I definitely have heard, you know, about his time filming Dune 2, so I definitely believe he's back. Gotcha. He's back, he's back, he's really He spent a lot of time writing poetry and just being a cool-ass guy. He wrote poetry in the movie as the character? He wrote poetry on his during his time on set for his his friends and colleagues, because he seems like a very sweet man. That's Just wanted to explain. 
express his gratitude for the experience. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so nice. Yeah, he's fucking rocks. Yeah, I'm excited. Can't wait to see my best friend, the worm. Same. (laughs) Does Will know about the popcorn bucket? That's a great question. I bet he has not heard about it whatsoever. (laughs) I really want Will's take on the popcorn bucket. I want you guys to go to the theater and you be like, do you want the special popcorn bucket? And for him to just process it in real time. I bet you. Oh, do you want? (laughs) Let's do a test. Let's do a test where I do ask him if he wants the Dune popcorn bucket. Uh And my prediction for you is that he'll look at it and he'll say, no, that's going to cut down on my popcorn eating efficiency. Why would I want that? <laughs> but it could fit more popcorn in there because it's got a lid, probably. No, he needs more room to maneuver. <laughs> okay. We can't be slowed down. <laughs> oh, yeah. We need are... maximum popcorn intake at all times. <laughs> really? That's my prediction. Well, yeah, the man just shovels popcorn <laughs> like no tomorrow. Absolutely. He fucking loves popcorn. Thanks for joining us this week on Friend Diagram. Thank you to Tyler Seek for the creation of our intro and outro music. Did you take any of our recommendations? Have any thoughts on the show? Let us know at frienddiagrampod at gmail.com, and we might read your email on a future episode. If you can, please take a moment to rate and review the show on your podcast app of choice, and we'll see you back here, same place, next week. Bye for now.